on a retreat, any retreat, we spend a lot of time cultivating the conditions that support mindfulness. And so we'll talk a lot about mindfulness and tonight I'd like to explore a little bit about some of the supports for us in this endeavor. Mindfulness itself is, at least in my understanding and what is in the suttas, uh, mindfulness itself is a quality or capacity of mind that uh, basically it, it, it creates the conditions for us to be aware of what's happening in the present moment while it's happening. And yet that quality itself is kind of neutral. Because that capacity to be aware of what's happening in the present moment while it's happening can be applied to this practice, to curiosity about what's happening in the present moment. And it can also be applied to something like being really quiet if you're sneaking through a house in order to steal things. And so what's the difference? What's the difference? Part of the understanding, and and the the, the Buddha actually speaks in the suttas of not many places, it's not in there many places, but there are references to what what is called wrong mindfulness. And wrong mindfulness in the wrong Noble Eightfold Path is based in wrong view. That's how it's described, that in one of wrong view, wrong intention arises. Wrong speech, wrong action, wrong livelihood, wrong effort, wrong mindfulness, wrong concentration arise in one who has wrong view. And so the view of somebody going through a house, sneaking through a house to steal things, is one of greed, is one of self-motivation. And so this is not what we would call directing this capacity of mindfulness towards understanding, understanding in particular what the Buddha pointed to, the freeing quality that that mindfulness can um, point us in the direction of, the freedom that mindfulness can point us in the direction of, comes when we are curious about understanding suffering. If that thief were curious about understanding suffering, the thief might recognize that that actual activity of mind that was happening in that moment of wanting to take something that belonged to somebody else, that that is painful. That that is not in the moment conducive to a heart that feels free, a heart that has love and compassion 
And so this perspective, the Buddha pointed us, the, the, the foundation of our path is right for you. And the Buddha pointed us to, in the Four Noble Truths, understand suffering. Let go of the cause of suffering. Realize that that possibility of the letting go of suffering results in a release of freedom from suffering and that there is a path that can be used to cultivate this freedom. And so the mindfulness of the Eightfold Path is this mindfulness of being aware of what's happening in the present moment, but it's mindfulness from a particular perspective. And I'd like to kind of describe this perspective in some really ordinary ways this evening. And so one way to think about this perspective of how we bring this capacity of knowing what's happening in the present moment while it's happening, is to consider that curiosity about what is happening in the present moment as being something that is happening in the present moment. And that sounds like nothing. It sounds like, in mathematical terms, it sounds like a tautology. It sounds like there's, if, you're, if you're aware of what's happening in the present moment, you would be aware that it is a happening in the present moment. And yet, actually, if we look at our minds, this is not what's going on usually, or in our, in our habitual perspective, especially before we meet the practice. Typically, when something arises in our minds, even if we're aware of it, we are often at least somewhat caught by the energy of that, thinking I need to do something or follow on. If you were to go out into the, into the world and if you noticed somebody was angry and, and, and ask them, this is somebody, just a, well, somebody on the street, do you know you're angry? They'll probably say, well, look at you like you're kind of nuts. You know, yeah, of course I know I'm angry. But are they aware of anger in the moment as an experience that's happening in the moment? What the experience of anger actually is? What is the human experience of anger? Not, are you angry and what are you going to do about it? Which is how most of us, before we meet the practice, would know anger. And so this, this perspective or this, this shift of of the, the use of mindfulness to be curious about experience that's happening in the present moment as phenomena, as experience that's happening in the present moment, whether that's the experience of the breath, the experience of a reactive emotion, anger, confusion, desire, frustration, whether it's a beautiful quality of mind, of love, of compassion, of patience, of joy, of ease or peace. 
the perspective of mindfulness is curious of something along the lines of what is it like to be a human being having this experience? What is it like to be a human being experiencing love, experiencing fear, experiencing anger? Opening to that side of the equation. So that's a simple shift. And yet it's a profound shift. There's a vast difference, and you all know this, between the experience of being with some reactive state of mind, being with frustration, versus being frustrated. We feel, we feel the difference. There's, a, there's more of a spaciousness when we are with an experience. So that's another way we can hold this perspective of mindfulness. Can we be with our experience? And if keep ourselves company in an experience. And so with something like a reactive emotion, fear, for example, when that is arising, we get curious about what is the inner experience? How does it affect the body? How does it affect the mind? What is the human experience? What is it like to be a human being experiencing this? And so we are exploring in this practice of mindfulness all of our human experience. No part of our human experience is fundamentally antithetical to being mindful. There are certain experiences, of course, that we have that make it more challenging to be mindful. But there's no particular state, except perhaps for non-mindfulness, no particular arising experience of which it's, not, it's fundamentally not possible to be mindful. Even a state like spacing out, even a state like sleepiness, possible to be mindful of those experiences. So there's nothing, no, no part left out. And yet there will be things that are challenging. And so we'll speak about that. Also, how to work with those experiences. And so I'd like to talk about some of the supports that I've seen in my own practice that really help this, holding this perspective finding our way to this perspective, which is, is what supports us to be able to move in the direction of freedom. You know, as I, as I said, the, the being caught in reactivity basically reinforces those patterns, those habits. We are experiencing and, and are feeling, um, being frustrated, being angry, that tends to be reinforcing those patterns of mind. 
Whereas we can kind of, it's almost like creating a larger container in which the mindfulness can hold frustration or anger or confusion or any, any experience. The mindfulness can hold it. And that creates the possibility for something different to happen. Transformation around that reactive emotion. Release around reactive emotions and support growth of the wholesome qualities. And so if we're holding love in a container of mindfulness, it creates the conditions for it to strengthen. If we're holding frustration in a container of mindfulness, it creates the conditions for that frustration to transform and release. Mindfulness has that great, amazing capacity to strengthen the wholesome and allow a weakening and a releasing of the unwholesome. And so this perspective that we're exploring to bring to our mindfulness is crucial for mindfulness to lead us towards freedom. And I'd like to just describe or explore some of the supports I've seen and um, just speak about them again in a, in a really simple way. The first support, relax. When I first, the first couple years probably of my meditation practice, I didn't hear this instruction. I don't think it was because it wasn't said, but I picked up on other parts of the instruction and my personality, my mode of being, my usual habits of mind applied those habits to the meditation, which of course it would do. And I thought that the way to freedom was to hold on to the breath as long as I could and to tightly hold on to experience and to push my mind into experience so that I could see it as closely as possible and track it all. My mind was really busy. When I finally really heard this teaching of relax, I began to understand that relaxing, and relaxing the body, basically relaxing the body as a start, as a place to begin, relaxation supports a very natural kind of this capacity, this neutral capacity to be present, to be aware in the present moment, to be aware of what's happening while it's happening in the present moment, that capacity is supported by relaxation. And relaxing the body, as we relax the body, it supports the mind to be able to relax a little bit. And as we relax the mind, as the mind relaxes, Basically, a non-relaxed mind is one that is caught up in its ideas, its agendas, its opinions, its views, its worries and concerns about the past and the future. A mind that is not relaxed is basically usually not in the present moment, or if it is in the present moment, it's thinking about the present moment. What do I need to do about this present moment? How can I get the thing I need, get rid of the thing I don't want. 
And so a relaxed mind puts us in the place where there's much more natural capacity to recognize when we relax, we can kind of check in, relax the body, just play with this a little bit right now, just relaxing the body. Relaxing the mind. You can actually explore this through consciously relaxing a little bit. I mean, you can, you can scan through the body and consciously find areas where there may be tension and see if there can be a softening or a relaxing around those areas a little bit. You can do that consciously. And then I also like to offer a, a kind of an analogy that my colleague Gil Fransdahl offers for relaxing the mind. And that is, um, you know, if you've consciously relaxed the muscles of the body, spent some time doing that, just as if your brain were a muscle, maybe the brain can relax. And so there can be kind of a a conscious inclining towards relaxing, letting go of tension in our system, in our body, and in our minds. And another way in that I found really useful, especially the further I got into retreat, because the further I got into retreat, the more it felt like trying to do something was a little bit agitating. And so what I began exploring was kind of requesting, just sitting in my posture and then dropping the request into my system. May the body relax. And then seeing what happens not trying to do that relaxation, but just dropping that request in when you sit. May the body relax, try it right now. May the body relax. Is there any effect as you drop that into your system? Sometimes I found that that request actually created or released something that I didn't even know was being held. And so it kind of, it's almost like our system, our organism understands in a way, when when given a request like that, especially the more stability, the more settled the mind is, the more those requests are likely to have an effect. And that at times our system seems to have an understanding of things that we don't have conscious access to. And so sometimes we can use that. May the body relax. May the mind relax. Like, don't even think about what that means. Just drop that in and see what effect it has on the body and mind. May the mind relax.
as the mind relaxes, there can be a kind of recognition that very simply there is awareness first of just this experience of relaxation but then of just perhaps the body sitting here maybe the breath maybe hearing And so relaxation places us, make, puts us in a space where we can be more receptive to knowing what's happening while it's happening. This is a second piece that I'd like to explore with you a little bit, this sense or a little talking about receptive awareness. This quality uh, in our attention, we can, when we are mindful, for instance, we can choose what we're going to attend to. We can direct our attention. And we do this quite a bit in meditation at times, choosing to attend to the breath, for example. And I would call that directing the attention. And so with mindfulness, we can choose to direct the attention. And we can also, with mindfulness, choose to not consciously pick what we are paying attention to, to not choose, now I'm going to pay attention to the breath, but rather kind of settle back and receive What's obvious? Letting go of control, controlling the choice to direct the attention. We, we can receive, almost like we can settle back and let experience come to us. And so right now, for instance, we'll, we'll play with these two just briefly. And so right now, let your attention rest in your hands. Notice the sensations of your hands. And so you can do that. And maybe now a breath. Let yourself be aware of a breath. And we can do that. We can choose to direct the attention and be aware of that experience. And then just play a little bit right now with letting go of choosing and essentially just settle back and see what's obvious. What what wants to come to you? What experience? So maybe it's hearing right now. Or maybe it's the breath or body sensations or an emotion. Letting go of choosing what wants to come into awareness. 
And so to me, this, a piece of this pointing that we're doing here is another support that was really helpful for me to begin to articulate to myself, especially again, the deeper my practice went and the more practiced, more practice I did, it began to be very useful to recognize and understand that there's a difference between attention and mindfulness. Attention is that capacity of mind that picks something out of experience. And it is amenable to conscious control as we just explored there. We can choose to direct the attention to the breath or to sounds or to the body. So it's amenable to a conscious choice. And yet if we're not consciously choosing that factor of attention is essentially being conditioned. It will be, something will be, be, be brought into attention and it will tend to be something that would come from the conditions that were here in the immediate preceding moments. So when we're not choosing to, to step in and say, I, I want to pay attention to this, the conditions come up for something to be brought into attention. And so that's kind of that settling back and saying, what wants to come to you? What wants to come into attention? So something is picked up in attention there. But that factor of attention, of that choosing something out of the environment to notice, essentially, that's what I'd say attention is, is different from this quality of mindfulness, which is this capacity to know what's happening in the present moment while it's happening. And I'll give an example of how you all already know this distinction. So if you are um, walking down the street or um, doing, doing something that requires you to move through the environment in some way, then uh, you may be mindful of that. And you may also not be mindful of that. I mean, how many of you have walked to your room, forgotten mindfulness, but navigated the halls, the stairways, the turns, the doors? Something was attending. Something was attending to the experience. Attention, perception, knowing the five aggregates, which we'll talk about at another time. But these processes of body and mind were attending to experience. Mindfulness may not have been there, but attention was functioning. Attention was helping you to get to your room in some fashion. And yet, you've all experienced that. You know, it's not like when mindfulness goes away that we start, you know, walking into things or tripping over things or losing our way. And so we all understand this difference. And yet, somehow in my practice, I thought that if I wasn't in charge of what object was being attended to, that it meant I wasn't being mindful. 
And so I had conflated these two in some way. And so it is possible for mindfulness to be present and we are not actively choosing what to pay attention to. This week we could call choiceless awareness. Choiceless in the sense that we are not consciously choosing. I like to call that receptive awareness because we are simply settling back and receiving. So I like that distinction between receptive and directed awareness. And so we don't also, it's I think another helpful piece for me was that I originally thought about these two, directing the attention and receiving, as being different things. And so if I was if I was choosing to pay attention to the breath, I was kind of doing the whole thing. I was doing the tracking. I was doing the, the latching on to. And so there's a way in which we can explore, even as we kind of direct the attention, what we could say maybe is kind of allow the attention to, to kind of come in on a particular area of our experience, directing the attention to some aspect of our experience, that we can do that and then receive that experience. Almost as a radio works. A radio is a receiver. We tune a channel, we tune to a particular frequency on a radio But then the radio isn't like going out and grabbing that frequency. It's still doing its job of just settling back, taking what comes in to that frequency. So that's a way, a kind of an analogy around, we can perhaps direct the attention. Like for instance, right now, allow yourself to, to kind of attune to the breath, but then receive what's there. You don't have to dive in and find anything or push the mind into it. What's obvious in the breath? What's naturally available to be received in the breath? And so this receptive attention, relaxation, receptive attention, these are tools that are supports for any form of meditation. Even metta practice for myself, the metta practice began to become really alive for me when I shifted from kind of looking for something and instead it would be it was just like I would drop the phrases in kind of a sense of dropping the phrases into the heart may you be happy and then settling back and receiving how does that phrase land so it's kind of attuning to the heart channel and seeing how do these phrases drop into the heart what happens what's the what's how does it land So again, receiving any practice 
we can explore this dynamic of directing and receiving. Sometimes the directing will be more helpful. Sometimes the receiving will be more helpful. And so we all, in a way, and, and this is, there's kind of an art to this. It's not that we can tell you, do this for the first two minutes and this for the next five minutes. It really is very dependent on conditions. But the, it's very worthwhile to explore this possibility of receiving experience. Whether it's receiving in a directed way, attuning to, I like that language too, Tanisaro Bhikkhu uses that language, attuning to the breath, attuning to the field of hearing, and then receiving that field. Or whether it's a broader receptive awareness without, without um, choosing to ground with a particular object. And so there's a blend or a way that it's helpful to explore these two together, relaxation and attention. So this is another area of ways that I found for myself, supports for the practice. And this points to something Winnie talked about last night when she said, you're not either in the middle of a three-month retreat or at the beginning of a six-week retreat. You are here to meet this moment. And so right now, just notice your hands. Notice the sound of my voice. Notice a breath. And often it's not very hard to do that for a moment. What tends to be more challenging is to to sustain that over time. And continuity is a really supportive tool for the establishment of mindfulness. We'll talk a lot about continuity. And, And yet again, in my own practice, I thought I needed to really grab onto the present moment and hold onto it for dear life. Creating a lot of tension in that attention. And so the, uh, the practice um, of what Joseph sometimes says, short moments many times. Just enough effort, essentially, to stay present for this moment, for this in-breath. That's all the effort you need to make. You do not need to sit down and say, I need to sit here and be present for the entire 45 minutes. But what, you, what is often helpful is to, is to recognize, oh, this in-breath. Oh, and then do it again, an out-breath. And then again, an in-breath. Just enough effort for half a breath. Another secret teaching from Joseph. He said, I'll give you that secret teaching. Just enough effort 
for half a breath and then do it again and again and again. And notice when the mind jumps in and creates the experience of time stretching out in front of you. When the mind jumps in and says, but that's for another six weeks, I can't, that's a thought. It's a thought, that's all that is. It's a thought. Notice that is arising. It's a thought arising. I have an analogy that I like to use around this short moments many times. And that is, um, you know, to get the momentum of mindfulness. This momentum will build, actually, in the short moments many times. And this is, again, part of the art of our practice, that as we, as we explore an in-breath, oh, and again, an out-breath, and enough effort to be with the in-breath, over time, the, the momentum of mindfulness begins to build. And then it's almost like we don't have to remind ourselves, or it is, we don't have to remind ourselves as often. So we may be present for two or three breaths very easily, and then need to remind ourselves. And so we need to start getting familiar with that experience of the mindfulness lingering for a little while and begin to notice when it starts to, to wobble a little bit. So this analogy that I like is, um, is that of riding a scooter. Well, those little kick scooters, not a motor scooter that, the, that kids ride. You know, it's a little two-wheeled scooter. It's got a platform you stand on. And to get the scooter going from a standstill, you need to tap on the ground. Tap, 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 tap. You could probably put the foot down and push really hard in the hopes that you'd go a long way. That can create some instability for the momentum. And so gentle, light taps gives you the possibility to balance and and get the momentum going. You get balanced and you get the momentum going with the taps, the gentle taps. And then you begin to get familiar with what it's like for that momentum to grow. And then you, you can ride for a little while. You don't have to put your foot down. And in fact, at certain points when the momentum is going, putting your foot down will slow you down. And so you get the momentum going. And then you start to get familiar with what it likes for the scooter to get wobbly. And you put your foot down again to get the momentum back. That kind of experience around the gentle, light touch, reminding yourself, can I be with the in-breath? Can I be with the out-breath? light touch, and then beginning to get familiar with that experience, perhaps, of a little bit of momentum of mindfulness. And when it feels supportive to reconnect with a gentle reminder again, oh right, the mind's starting to drift, kind of a feeling of the attention kind of pulling away. Bring it back, bring the attention, connect again, light touch, many times. And the third tool, so basically it's relax, receive, 
And that receiving may happen in directed or receptive attention. Relax, receive. And the third one Greg pointed to this morning too. Allow. Cultivating and allowing attention to whatever is happening in the present moment. This morning Greg used kind attention. We could say loving awareness. It's an important part of our wise mindfulness, of this mindfulness that points us in the direction of freedom. Because it, it supports that possibility of the mindfulness holding whatever is happening supporting the curiosity around what is the human experience of whatever is arising. When, when the mind can explore and incline towards this attitude of allowing, it creates the conditions for us to be okay with what's ever happening in the present moment, which allows us to learn from it. When we can notice and begin to recognize what's happening here in the present moment, we begin to understand the conditions that are at play in creating what's happening, the conditions that are at play in in creating our reactivity, the conditions that are at play in creating mindfulness and concentration and love. And so our mind begins to understand as the, as the mind can hold, as the mindfulness is joined with this allowing. It creates the conditions for our minds to deeply be able to understand itself and to understand suffering, that first noble truth that the Buddha talked about. Understanding suffering. Those four noble truths come with actions. Each of them comes with actions. The first is meant to be understood. And to me, this is where the whole thing begins. We cultivate this capacity of mindfulness and explore the possibility of allowing. And when that is in place, when the mind can allow what is arising... It creates the conditions for that understanding suffering, which leads to, as the mind begins to understand suffering, basically what happens there, I kind of pointed to this earlier, that that thief going through the house, if that thief were looking at their own minds in that moment, they would find pain in the experience of the wanting to take something from somebody else. If they could actually notice the human experience, which they probably can't because there's a lot of delusion going on for them to be able to do that, to be in that situation. But if they could step below that layer of delusion and open to the human experience of what was actually going on there, they would find pain. And so when we 
open to with this allowing attention, reactive emotions, our system, our organism basically begins to understand this is not helpful. This is not conducive to well-being in the moment. And because of that learning, because the mind itself, it's like we don't have to consciously do that learning. We don't have to figure that out. The conditions of mindfulness and allowing support the mind, the, 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 the organism to be able to understand that. Our mind can be, begin to understand reactivity is suffering in the moment. And because of that learning, also, our system essentially, inherently, wants to move in the direction of well-being. Our practice of mindfulness, we could say, this mindfulness coupled with allowing, is giving our system new information. It's giving our system an education into our habits of mind, our habitual tendencies that they don't serve us in the way that we thought they did. And as, as the mind sees that they don't serve us, the mind itself begins to understand and begins to find its way to releasing them. And there are definitely times when Consciously, we can help that along. There are times when it's really supportive for us, recognizing that we're caught in a storm of anger, to turn the attention to something else, to to, uh, bring in some metta, to use some of our tools that support us in balancing the mind there. And yet, if the mind can hold that reactivity, with that experience of, oh, this is the human experience of anger. I can be with this. The mindfulness can be with this. Then the learning is happening there already. And you may not need to apply those antidotes, if the mindfulness and the allowing are holding it. And yet, of course, it's not always easy to allow. Might it be so? I wish it were so. <laughs> that if I w- when I'm caught in some kind of a reactive state and the mind is really caught by it, you know, to say, oh, just allow this. You know, sometimes we can't do that. And so sometimes we have to hold or step back, perhaps see if there can be a bigger container that allows the not allowing, that allows, wow, there's all this anger and I hate this. Oh, can I know that? Can I know there's anger and hate? Can I be with that? Can I allow the resistance to the anger and the hate to be there and be known? To allow the not allowing? Is it possible to create that bigger container, to step back and recognize that 
maybe we can allow the not allowing. And if that does not seem possible, that's a good time to change the channel, to turn your attention to something else, to bring in some of the tools that we know that help to balance our mind when we're really caught by something. And so, relax. May the body relax. May the mind relax. Can you, in that relaxation, recognize something of an ease of being with this moment? Maybe there's a little more possibility of knowing, oh, this in the present moment. Maybe the body, maybe the breath, And if you're exploring a more open awareness, just whatever's arising. If you are exploring the breath, attuning to the breath, or attuning to the body, and then exploring receiving the breath. Just enough effort for this moment. And what's here now, receiving the next moment And the next moment. And opening to the possibility of allowing your experience to be exactly as it is. Allowing is not about agreeing or disagreeing with experience. We don't have to agree with something or like it in order to allow it. Allowing is more this sense of recognizing that what has arisen, it's already here. Might as well allow it because it's already here. And that allowing isn't necessarily about non-action, but 
opening to recognizing that what has arisen has arisen creates the space in the heart that allowing creates the space in the heart for rather than reactivity to be the next moment or reactivity to be how we meet that for skillful responsiveness to be how we meet that and maybe skillful responsiveness is just holding it in that allowing And maybe skillful responsiveness means choosing another experience to attend to. Relax. Receive. Allow. And let the learning happen. Thank you for listening to the Dharma. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.